Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here today with a book review compilation or best of or highlights or technically lowlights show. We are truly at the end of the line now, Amanda. If you want to make fun of Leo Tolstoy, this is it. This is your final chance. Last <laughs> opportunity. Final stop on the train ride. Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we can always throw shade in the future. That is an illusion, mm-hmm. listener, if you're listening to this one and don't get that reference. Uh, that is an illusion to the 80th episode of the Penguin Little Black Classics Review Collection, which we just wrapped up, if you're hearing this. And that was on the Dahambada, which was a, is a Buddhist text, not about Tolstoy. I just go on a couple of rants in that episode, as I'm wont to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and our, our goal today is distinctly not to make fun of Leo Tolstoy, who I'm sure deserves plenty of literary respect, but instead is to compose a sort of best of, like I said, our highlights episode for the final 20 book review editions of this Penguin Little Black Classics. That is a set of world literature that we have been reviewing one at a time. And now that it's over, we have to we have to put in this final highlights episode. Amanda, are you excited? I am. It's going to be fun. I think so too. We've come up with a new format. So if you're if you're a really careful and dedicated listener, thank you firstly always. But also you know that we've done highlights every 20 episodes along this path. So uh, the first 20 Ryan and I did something for the second set of 20 I did something solo. I think for the third set that's when you jumped in, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, and we did our debate, right? Top five, bottom mm-hmm. five? Okay. Yep. And so we decided, and all of those have been different formats, so if you're interested in other sets and you want to know about the other works in the collection without listening to, you know, 40 episodes or whatever, those are there for that purpose. That's sort of the design intention behind these is to give you, if you didn't listen to them all or even any, this is a great entry point because we're just going to pick some really interesting ones, whether for better or worse, and so you can jump to those episodes later. But at any rate, we've invented a new format for this final installment of the Penguin Collection and this final installment of the Best Ofs. We are essentially doing high school superlatives, which are awards that high schools in America anyway, which is where we live. We have no very small international reference, but it's common for high schools here to, in their yearbooks, give awards out for sort of arbitrary things. A lot of it happens to be, I think, popularity-based, and some of it can be cruel. Some of it's kind of sweet and funny, and then some of it can be mean, I guess. I'm sure schools have clamped down on some of that. Amanda, oh, sure. crucially, I, I must ask, before we begin this process, were you awarded any high school superlatives? No. I actually I went to three different high schools. Yeah. Uh, we moved around a bit, so I and also I'm just super shy, so there was no. Right. And and a lot of high schools will throw in a shy award, which is really just, that's got to be torture for the shy person. It's like the (laughs) antithesis of what they're, what they want. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, that's got to hurt, you know, that's like extra, extra twist of the knife or something at the end. Did you get anything for like football or something or? No, I actually had a couple of superlatives. Um, and I think it's, it is professional obligation off right off the top to admit and I think this is why I made this category so negative. I got class clown for my high school class. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And there were others. I forgot what the other one was. Class clown. And it's weird, though, because it was class clown and then another more positive mature award. And that was kind of the joke was that I think I think I may have gotten like next president. Not that I don't know if it was that one, but there were I got two and one of them was the clown, which I'll never forget because I was like, man, that's really deserved. But also... I don't know. I feel like I was a heightened clown. <laughs> like I, you know, I was I was also like a the 10th person in our class ranking or what, you know, it's like I wasn't right. <laughs> I wasn't a clown who didn't graduate or something like that. So I don't know what I was yeah. doing. I was living a very complex life back then. So, anyway, <laughs> I don't remember what the other one is. When I go home for winter, I will I'll take a look at the yearbook in there and double check, but it was an odd combination of awards, I will say. But it really I think you've highlighted the important element here. Even if you deserved one, it's just who knows who the most, you know what I mean? Right. It ends up being just a voting of like who's popular contest. Not even any not even popularity, it's just then who's well known to the school. Right. Or in the school, you know, through athletics or whatever. And so, yeah. But I do feel a responsibility to the listener to say that that I am that I am the ass. I'm that guy. <laughs> Or lady. <laughs> I'm that guy in this case. Uh, and so here we are, making a podcast about literature. That's what all class clowns do in the end. So respect right, to all the other yeah. clowns out there. <laughs> Let's begin our comedic endeavor then uh, and talk through what we're doing. So we have picked six total superlatives modeled after the high school type awards. 
You and I have independently chosen a book for each award. We will discuss the category and what it means, and then you and I will talk through our picks. We are not doing a debate format this time. The last time we did that, it went on a little long and was actually really fun, but we just wanted to change it up. So we're just doing yeah. our, our independent picks, and then we will discuss them. Maybe, uh, maybe casually debate them, but we're definitely not here to rank anything or anything like that. We're just here to talk through our, our selections and maybe give some recommendations for, again, those of you who are listening for the first time. Without any further ado, I say we just jump into it, Amanda. Thoughts before we get into it? Okay. We will start with a positive award. At least in my mind, it's positive. And it is most likely to be president, which, to be clear, we are doing creative interpretations of what these mean. So by most likely to be president, I don't mean which author should have been a president. That's definitely not (laughs) what we mean at all. (laughs) We mean which literary work should a leader in government read to just be a better leader essentially that's how i interpreted this award so whichever Mm -hmm. book we pick for this one that's what we mean most likely to be president literary prize goes to the book a governmental leader i guess you know business leader should should read to be better and amanda why don't you start with your pick talk us through it sure i chose um hg wells the two short stories for a slip under the microscope Mm -hmm. and um the the reason for that is i that work specifically discusses the ideas of uh, morality and keeping a sense of, of self um, in the face of public identity and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the, the idea of like keeping truths and stuff like that in perspective and, and always remaining truthful, even to the detriment of yourself. Yeah, of course. I mean, directly, right? In the plot. Yeah. Without spoiling yeah, the, anything. The actual a slip under the microscope, the, the title um, story there, it, the, the main character is, of course, like struggling with the ideas of, of truth and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was a really fitting one. And I think that anybody could benefit from it. But especially like we have such a distrust of politicians nowadays anyway. And, yeah. and the reason for that is that we don't see them as being truthful or as being genuine and those are um things that are very much at the heart of these two stories yeah certainly no that that morality the ethics of that are pretty direct i hesitated to recommend fiction for that reason did you also i think there's such an obvious pick for this and i I won't dance around it it is also not my pick but i feel like the dhammapada is such an obvious pick here because it forces you to reckon directly with your beliefs and morality and granted i'm sure people could think their way out of it if they wanted like i'm, I'm doing plenty for the people i've sacrificed or you know whatever and yeah. but i mean did you hesitate with picking fiction for this one i i didn't i i hesitated i didn't choose dhammapada despite personally agreeing with some of the the ideas and stuff um yeah just because like we discussed in the in that episode it was a bit too strict uh, whereas with a piece of fiction, they'll, fiction is really nice in that it, it'll focus on one particular theme, one particular uh, moral or lesson um, in this case. And so, but it's usually broad enough and not prescriptive mm-hmm. in that way, right? Um, so I think fiction, I didn't struggle with choosing a fiction piece for this at all. I, I thought that it was yeah. pretty fitting just because it's broad enough to not be like an actual like hey go read the bible or oh hey go go read this pamphlet about uh buddhism yeah so i think too we we would hope in our leaders in any leadership position you would have the intelligence to thoughtfully consume some fiction and then reflect and apply it to your life who knows (laughs) who knows if people are capable of that we would hope yeah And I know other certain presidents, at least again in the States, we have the president perspective on this, but like I know certain presidents in the years past have released reading lists and and things of that nature. So whether that's all smokescreen or is in reality what they're, you know, they're consuming things and thinking through these things or not is to be TBD, I guess. I chose Lips Too Chilled, which is a collection of haiku by Matsuo Basho. Kind of an interesting pick. I think the reason is because I, I don't know if you feel this way, but we live in an age of Googleable information and step-by-step prescriptive solutions to stuff. Now, in terms of political catastrophe, I don't think you can't Google how to solve a pandemic or whatever, but there are, the whole point of large institutions like we are supposed to have is that they 
you know, they prep things in advance. They have bureaucratic steps they can follow that, while not being the most efficient, will hopefully protect the most people, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is I don't think the president or any leader needs to be handed, like, how to do it, 10 steps to success. I feel like our culture is wildly inundated with quick fix shit like that. And I, I use some of it in my life. I'll happily Google directions to something or like how to do you better at this or give me five tips to do this better like it's such Mm -hmm. a tip and list filled culture we've found ourselves in it's for that reason i thought something like this would be perfect to challenge a leader like i'm hoping that if they read these haiku they would just be slowed down a little bit maybe you don't have to meditate literally but maybe some of the imagery in here could give some deeper perspective maybe it could cut out stress maybe it could give you just a bit of calm on a you know, perspective on the human condition or whatever. I think if you approach the haiku on their own terms like that with an open mind, then it's not going to like make you a more efficient person. But again, you can go buy a hundred business CEO wrote their book, life hack your way to the top and do you sleep earlier and drink more water? And it's like, just shut the fuck up, man. Like we yeah. have so much of that stuff. It's like incredibly, I don't know. I feel inundated with it. Really. It feels exhausting. Like you have to mm-hmm. project manage your own life. Like that's just what your life is now. Just be, be a project manager for your own existence. And I just think right. something like this can really kick you out of that, which I think would be quite valuable. Um, I chose one haiku to read. Just It says, faceless, bones scattered in the field, wind cuts my flesh. It's provocative, it's brief, and it leaves room to interpret and to feel. And I just think that would be nice. And so that's what I went with. I think the Dhammapada is an obvious follow-up, though. Any thoughts yeah. on that one? Um, I, I absolutely loved Lips Too Chilled. And that particular haiku that you just recited... When you were reciting it, I was like, oh, man, yeah, I definitely remember that one. Like, that's how much it affected me is yeah. after how many <laughs> how many months ago was that? Uh, who knows? And it's still yeah. something that I can recall. And, yeah, it's I, I agree with you that it doesn't uh, – people don't take the time to really reflect on things other than what, you know, problem solving and stuff like that nowadays and, and just being able to appreciate – a beautiful poem or a beautiful scene or something like that, I think has, has definitely been neglected by a lot of people lately. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I always, you know, I, I'm happy to generalize for fun or whatever. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but I just think it's just what media consumption has become. And it's what books, when you look at what's getting published, there's just a lot of self-help out there essentially. And it just feels yeah. to me exhausting. Sometimes I don't even read a ton of it. Like I said, but I'll, I'll dive into topics I'm interested in. Anyway, I just think something like this can shake a person out of that mind, which is helpful yeah. too. So there you go. President, who, whoever's going to be president and <laughs> whatever, whenever the civil war ends, apparently, and we have a president, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go ahead and read those haiku. Um, if, if that's something you're interested in. Let's go with a negative category. We'll kind of jump back and forth here. The next category we'll go with is la- most likely to cram last minute. Again, we have interpreted these categories. So it's not literally about the person. What we mean this category to mean is it is the text where parts of it felt incredible or transcendent, but it really did not come together in a cohesive way that we found satisfying. So it's almost like best part does that make sense mm-hmm. best section if that if that is another way to interpret it i just picture cramming last minute like you it can get the job done but it's not going to like blow you away you know you cram right. last minute you're going to get a c and be happy you're not coming away, away with the a plus right hopefully that interpretation makes sense um do you yeah, want to be does. why don't we have you begin again then with this one amanda what did you pick for cram last minute um, I chose Catherine Mansfield's uh, Miss Brill collection. Oh, okay. The short stories by her. Um, and I think that you decided no on that, but I decided maybe. Yeah. And we, we had some good discussion about that, but um, we were both uh, not blown away by the lack of plot in her stories. But uh, what I found really interesting was I think that stylistically she could get there, right? Like she's... Um, her style is very similar to, uh, like almost like a Kate Chopin, um, style, um, but just without any plot (laughs) 
And so, uh, but what I liked about it was that stylistically, I thought that she was, she was almost there. And um, I thought that her character work was really interesting because she, she goes into some, some really um, insights. Uh, She, she delves into uh, certain character insights, uh, especially for the women and the time period being when women were kind of like, uh, wanting more out of their lives than just to be mothers and daughters and wives. Yeah. And so th- that development I thought was really interesting, especially since she wrote it from both female and male perspectives. So if she had included some kind of plot instead of just the character work to pull the reader through the story, then I think that she would have been those stories would have been really great. But because there was no actual plot, the entire purpose of those stories was just that character work and like really delving into the psychology of the characters. Yeah. You, you really had to invest a lot of like energy into actually caring for these characters and, and in a way that since you don't see any real strife and, and no, like outside problems is kind of difficult. Was this the one um, with the man who imagined his wife was coming back from a cruise or um, an ocean faring thing somewhere? And then he, is that that one, that collection? Yes. Okay. That's the one. Um, so there were three stories. So that one was called the stranger. Okay. And then there was also Miss Brill, which was the woman who had like the Fox stole um, and was made fun of at the right. She overheard that young couple talking about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one, um, the first one was the wife whose husband came to visit and then she like pretty much ignored him because she was hanging out with her friends. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That the the character, the man in that that story, his his nervousness I recall pretty clearly. Yeah. So, um I pulled a quote from The Stranger, which is the one about the cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it says it, it's it's about uh, this is from the male's perspective. He's been waiting for his wife to come home from a vacation for a while. Um, he says, but just as when he embraced her, he felt she would fly away. So Hammond never knew, never knew for dead certain that she was as glad as he was. Would he always have this craving, this pang-like hunger somehow to make Janie so much part of him that there wasn't any of her to escape? He wanted to blot out everybody, everything. So I thought that was a really nice... Uh, it just shows the character work, the stylistic approach to this guy who's just like wanting to envelop her completely, which is something that um, Mansfield kind of develops throughout that entire story is the idea of like, uh, what is, how can a woman have her own identity during that time? Yeah. And his paranoia is quite felt. I think it's, yeah. That that is the only of those stories I remember really clearly. Unless she wrote the one with who, a person who thought her life was a stage play. That was her too, right? I don't remember. Okay, there was one short story we read where the person imagined everyone around. She's like in a park, and she yes, pictured, that's Miss Brill. That's yeah, the actual okay, Brill. yeah, I remember that one too. So yeah, some memorable character work to be sure. Okay, yeah, okay, and it didn't. You felt like the lack of plot, huh? I guess yeah, that is true. That is not what I remember about those at all. Just that, just that man who I picture sweating profusely. I pictured him as a big flop sweater. Yeah, he seemed incredibly stressed about his, he his was, marriage. He was. <laughs> he was very unhappy in his marriage. He was. He was. He was a nervous wreck. Oh, brother! <laughs> definite wife guy. The twenty twenty reference energy. Definite wife guy for sure. Yep. I chose for cram last minute Il Duro by D. H. Lawrence, which mm. uh, to me is the most blatant pick for this because. This book really transcends. I feel like this book was I almost hallucinogenic at times. I felt like there were moments and passages in this descriptions of this Italian countryside. So the collection Penguin shows is a basically a travelogue, like collect, collection of writings when he was in Italy or his impressions of Italy. And really, this this man just <laughs> just puts in the hyperbole and a half. I think it's it's yeah. pretty wild. The descriptions. There's a at some point an old woman who just turns into the cosmos or something like that. She like turns into the origins of the universe or something. And I, I felt like it was a really bleak tale. I felt like, and I know your analogy was to D and D setting. It felt like such a well-realized, really harrowing place, but 
and the dreamlike quality of it was, I think, so well realized. I just don't remember a damn thing that occurred. I think it's so it's similar <laughs> to your description of just, I don't know what this was about, really. I don't know what his point of view, other than kind of just a general sense of a bleak malaise of some sort. I don't know why he wrote this other than to flex the writing muscle a bit and just sort of work some ideas out. But I'll remember the quotes and tone of some of this stuff. I pulled one from 13 here. This is just a paragraph about him walking around the countryside. He says, I gather instead the primroses that smelled of earth and of the weather. There were no snowdrops. I had found the day before a bank of corcuses, pale, fragile, lilac-colored flowers with dark veins, pricking up keenly like myriad little lilac-colored flames among the grass under the olive trees. And I wanted very much to find the snowdrops hanging in the gloom, but there were not any. And it's, he's a good way of vacillating in that way where he'll goes in on the fire, the, the roses of fire, and then he pulls back and then it's, but you're left with the idea of just, there's no snow, but he wanted the snow, but there, but there was none. And he has this yeah. way of, you know, it's a good push pull. I think, you know, the effective writing in the simplest description does that. It sort of, it can hit you with an idea quickly and then it, it slows down when it, when it wants to, needs to, um, Certainly not the punchiest quote I could have pulled, but I, it was just one that I thought in a really brief paragraph showed what it was capable of. Um, so I think it, it had those moments, but I don't think, I mean, I'm interested in D.H. Lawrence now, certainly more than before. And so maybe I'll continue and pursue his, his writing, but I will remember the style of that for sure for a long time. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed D.H. Lawrence's works here because I had read his novel, one of his novels, and I was like not a fan, so I was kind of dreading. Mm-hmm reading um it and i was just pleasantly surprised i think i i think i actually said yes on on the il duro which is why i didn't put it as the cram last minute because i i didn't think negatively enough of it <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> it is it, it is funny because it that wasn't you're 100 right that was a negative category like outright yeah. I, I said you know when we made this i was like let's do a couple we'll do three positive three negative and you're right that was a negative one i think and I think I said this in the review, some of it f- felt so absurdist to me that I admired it a lot, but also thought, I remember there was a paragraph in there when he kind of like does this really generalized history of just like the West or humanity or something. And I was like, this is totally preposterous. Like he, he does these weird sweeping summaries of entire societies and civilizations. And it just, it really felt like somebody going on and on, uh, maybe feeling themselves a bit too much. I think that's why I put it in the negative group, but the writing is just outright enticing. So yeah, I'll remember great it. For, writing. Yeah, I'll remember yeah. it forever. Well, let's move back to a positive category. We will go next with the best smile or best dressed, however you want to approach this one. Those are both common high school superlatives. The way we are interpreting this category is to mean the literary work with the most memorable part or passage or just the best moment of writing. So similar to the previous category where the writing was really memorable, but this one, I think the way I'm interpreting it is it is, it is the one you'll remember the most, like the best line quote section. And it doesn't have to be the whole work. We have a final positive superlative for that, but this is just for like the moment that arrested you the most, uh, which honestly, if this is El Duro for you, then that's fine. <laughs> I don't know what your pick is, but <laughs> it could have been mine too. Honestly, <laughs> what did you pick? <laughs> Um, no, actually, I chose uh, Kate Chopin's A Pair of Silk Stockings. Mm. Um, but the quote that I pulled was actually from The Story of an Hour, which is like a masterpiece of a short, short story. Like, yeah. so good. Yeah. It's only like a couple of paragraphs, and it's just amazing. Um, yeah, for sure. The way that Kate Chopin can, in, in all of her stories, I feel like, just uh, very clearly set a tone and a mood. Like, in such a short period of time, it was... Uh, her ability to do that is is akin to me to um, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, which was the yellow wallpaper, right? Where you have that snappy writing that just immediately sets it up for you, the setting, character, all of that. And she just does a great job um, with all of that. And I also just love that it's a, it's a, all right, all of her writing is about, uh, people who are marginalized, specifically people who are um, of color or of um, the lower so, uh, social classes and, right, and also yeah. for women. So the content for me is also really interesting. Um, 
Yeah. But and from notable, the story of an hour, right? I That's chose That's kind of why she gets remembered, quote. I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose, there stood facing the open window a comfortable, roomy armchair. Into this, she sank, pressed down by a physical exhaustion that haunted her body and seemed to reach into her soul. She could see in the open square before her house the tops of trees that were all aquiver with the new spring life. And what I, I chose that quote because it's just great imagery and you can really feel how tired she is but it's it's setting up the contrast and it's setting it up for that twist there that's going to come up later in the story and it's just really well done yeah yeah whenever you can use the word a quiver come on that's just <laughs> that makes me that word sounds jiggly to me like that yeah. word the way it reads i think it's the a and then a word you don't expect it sounds yeah. like it's shit it sounds like it's shimmying like it's quivering mm-hmm. or something yes. yeah what a great word truly you gotta love immaculate word choice like that yeah and Did she's you, great at that yeah yeah and i think you chose from probably the most striking story i remember coming out of that review with a maybe as well like i responded i thought some of them were a little more dull in topic but um the the quality of the writing again yeah quite high you can't really argue with a master yeah that's She's great amazing cool any other final thoughts you want to sell the people on kate chopin definitely read uh, her work i mean heck yeah just read her she's amazing Do yeah it. i've got another one that for. is easy to recommend in terms of accessibility popularity and history my best smile best dressed is from circe and the cyclops which is from the odyssey it, a bit stiff at times admittedly but and i think the circe part of this whole book is not amazing or anything it's okay it's like kind of blandish okay character work maybe a little simple but i didn't choose it for that i chose it for the cyclops scene which i will remember always <laughs> which i felt like when we did the post on this one i had to draw a part of it i'm g- just gonna read a brief quote here from when they're fighting the cyclops or you know when he's in the- they're in his den this says Lurching up, he lunged out with his hands toward my men and snatching two at once, wrapping them on the ground, he knocked them dead like pups. Their brains gushed out all over, soaked the floor, and ripping them limb from limb to fix his meal, he bolted them down like a mountain lion, left no scrap, devoured entrails, flesh and bones, marrow and all. We flung our arms to Zeus, we wept and cried aloud, looking on at his grisly work, paralyzed and appalled. Then it continues on for pages of similar violence i just think okay so it does a couple of things here that i appreciate it's it's brutal you need it you need it to be it's it's an epic moment it's mythology it's a beast it's a creature of great fear and terror and it does that and i and i don't think it overstays the the slight parts where it it kind of indulges a little bit which i think is like the the little modifier soaked the floor and then the uh, left no scrap just enough of a kind of vivid image or a little play or twist to like really twist it into you but I don't know it's not I didn't find it to be like hyper grotesque and I think this is just my own I don't know media consumption and reactions I I can read something like that and and you know sit back and open my eyes and just think holy shit that's just intense but it doesn't make me feel disgust like watching a horror movie does and I, right. I guess it's just the lack of visual. You know, I, you know, I'm visualizing as I read, what have you. But when it's not laid out in front of me like that, I react to this and think that's just brutal and impressive. Whereas that's brutal and gross, or that's brutal and stupid or desensitive. Like I don't react that way to literature for some reason. And right. so, I don't know. I when I looked back at the twenty, I just thought, what you know, my reaction to this category was essentially, what will I one hundred percent remember as a moment. I will remember this forever. I will remember when they fight the Cyclops and it gets really disgusting forever. So that's my pick. (laughs) I definitely remember the bloody scenes. And I think that those were the only scenes that I actually appreciated from that collection. (laughs) And, and, you know, if we're situating this within the work or whatever, it's what it needs to be. And I think it does it. And, and even then, the heroism, by contrast, which I think comes off as really stiff, even the line that I just read about him, we cried to Zeus. You know, our men, we, we cried and wailed or, you know, we're wallowing to Zeus. It's a right. little formal and stiff, but, you know, that's the heightened oral tradition. And I think that's also fine. I don't know. In a yeah. way, it its corniness matches the 
the strange like intensity of the violence. I don't think it. Yeah. I, I, again, the character work in this whole thing. I know we talked about this in the, the episode on Cersei and the Cyclops, but yeah, I don't think the character work is that amazing or memorable. It's not particularly psychological in the way a modern reader would want, but this is what an epic text should feel like. I think. Yeah. Definitely so that, some, some gruesome imagery but yeah definitely will stick with you i will give you that. yeah memorable for sure <laughs> i guess you know cram last minute then whatever those categories are are there those are like cousin categories those are quite yeah. similar but <laughs> it just depends on how you interpret it and how you remember it let's jump back then to our uh, second to last negative category to be clear we're doing three of each so second to last negative category here this one we deemed teacher's pet i think a common high school moniker and insult at least in my mind it was <laughs> The way we're interpreting this category, and we're both educators or former educators, so we can say this, we are going to pick the work we think would most likely be taught in schools, but shouldn't be, or at least, not that it shouldn't be, because it, it'll have qualities that make it teachable, but that like would get overtaught or maybe is too easy to teach, or I'm going to kind of leave you to interpret that how you want, but it is a negative category, because I think there are some things in taunt school that are just wonderful. There's a reason why they hold up. This, I don't think, should be that. This is not something that should be taught where it's like, you'll be taught this because it's a masterwork. This is more like, yeah, a teacher would pick this because it has these really easy, obvious elements, but maybe right. we should retire this shit. Like, that's how I interpreted it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I would hope so, because you prep for this. So I, I don't know why I'm explaining him to you. <laughs> you either did that or, you know, we got to figure it out. Okay. Um, Shit, I well, chose something different. I know. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's positive category now. Um, I think I'll just have you start all of these, actually. So go ahead and start us off, Amanda. That's what do you got? Um, I chose The Voyage of Sir Francis Drake Round the Whole Globe. To be and clear, no high school student has ever read this. I'm certain, yes. but I think you've got a case. So sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so what is teachable about it is that, um, so it is nonfiction and uh, teachers have mm -hmm. a hard time a lot of the time finding nonfiction pieces that they can throw at their kids. Um, but uh, this one is supposedly propaganda, um, right, right. which we talked about in the, uh, in the episode as well. So it's, it's, it's supposedly propaganda, and um, what I thought could be taught about it, um, even if you don't approach the propaganda aspect, you can look at the process of colonization during that time, which could be a history thing, um, but could also be for if you're doing like a literature study on like um, the colonization in literature, that could be um, a good piece, and also on... Um, uh, uh, stereotypes and prejudices during that time against native peoples. Um, those were my favorite parts actually were the uh, really insensitive and just like plainly racist statements that he made about oh, yeah. all and the native people that he came across. For sure. Yeah. Um, but what I would say would have to be like a no go in an actual classroom aside from like sensitivity to those um depictions of the native people it's also just so dull the way that hacklet uh wrote it was just yeah not great um so I, I pulled a quote and i think actually the title of the piece is pretty fitting too it's the voyage of sir francis drake around the whole globe and then it goes on like the each one is like a paragraph almost for a title yeah so that's true. his style um <laughs> but um, the quote that I chose is, uh, taking their departure from the Cape de Verde Islands, they sailed 54 days without seeing land, and at length, on the 5th April 1578, got sight of the coast of Brazil in latitude 33 degrees south. The barbarous people on shore discovering the ships began to practice their accustomed ceremonies to raise a storm for destroying their ships, making great fires and offering sacrifices to the devil. The 7th of April, they had thunder, lightning, and rain, during which storm they lost sight of the Christopher, but found her again on the 11th. Sure. It's like, oh, cool, this description is great, and oh, uh, yeah, we lost a ship, but it's fine, we found her later. Like, give me, give just... me the day by day, I feel so teased. You don't want the, to know <laughs> yeah. what happened on the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th? <laughs> you mean? You feel shortchanged? <laughs> yeah. 
But it's it. There's like that piece about like the barbarous peoples, and you're like, ooh, this could get really interesting. And then he's like, okay, here's one sentence about them, and oh, let me describe the weather. Oh, we lost a ship. Oh, we found the ship. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's got the Darwin sense in that regard. D- Darwin, yeah. a man who we learned by reading his um, insert into this collection, will spend five pages describing a spider, but when it comes to uh, peoples he has never encountered from another land. He gives him half a paragraph of savagery, and then it's uh, and then he's good. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, do you see that spider though? That's a real thoughtful creature. That's a real that deserves. <laughs> that's the one that's going to get five pages of my attention. Th- these people we're encountering, no, that's of no interest to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we saw how that description can go. Okay, I. I, I thought you were going to go on a little uh, diatribe here about being careful when picking primary source texts in a school, which in that way, Hacklute in a propaganda course, bring it on or like in a lit, you know, lit class with that as a section or something. I don't yeah. know. It's bad to read, though. So I see why it slots into the negative category. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other negative about it, at least I thought you were going to say this. I'll say it. Just if you're teaching, be careful when you pick your primary sources, you know. Just be yeah. cautious, sensitive, make sure you know what you want to teach out of it and don't just pick one. And so, yeah, yeah for sure. Any other final lessons from Hackloot? Nope. I think I, I'm done talking okay. about him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done thinking about him. All right. Give him, give him, <laughs> taking back your mental real estate, right? Yeah. Fair enough. My pick for Teacher's Pet is The Robber Bridegroom, which is a collection from the Brothers Grimm. Fairy tales, people. I hate them. If you've listened to mm-hmm. even a chunk of this penguin's little black classics i've only learned two things here folks well i've learned three things one nobody will listen to a podcast about classic literature so don't do it and that's lesson number one always (laughs) and we've learned that lesson so we're you know we're on the mend lesson two i don't like fairy tales or fables basically at all unless they're not from the western tradition because at least then they're new to me at least then i can go oh i've never heard of this it's kind of cooler and then three, Tolstoy, fuck off. And that's basically it. So this slots into lesson two, which is, I don't like these. I think the thing about the robber bridegroom and any other uh, collection of these myths, fables, whatever for kids, supposedly, I get that you can teach the hell out of theme in them. You can teach the hell out of any literary device. That's why they're so big in those early years. I, you know, do what you must, I guess. I'd rather use a picture book or some updated series. Like, I'd rather teach fucking Captain Underpants or something. Like, at least that has some levity and goofiness and it's modern and stupid. These are old and stupid, like, which is yeah. fine, you know, if you're studying it for a certain reason. But I don't know. It's just so stiff. It's so obvious and boring. I just really hated reading these throughout the entire collection, but... And so I'll, you know, I'm going to read a quick quote from the beginning of the story of the robber bridegroom. It begins, once upon a time, yeah, of course, there was a miller who had a beautiful daughter, and when she grew up, he was anxious to see her well married and provided for. He thought, if a proper suitor comes along and asks for her hand, he shall have her. Before long, a suitor turned up, who seemed to be very rich, and since the miller could find nothing against him, he promised him his daughter. If we even ignore the feminist reading of that and et cetera, I'm not trying to blah, blah, blah that, but that's not why I'm attacking this. I'm attacking it because you know every the conflict is in the first two sentences. You don't need to know anything else. The, the trait that you need to know about all the characters is laid out. She was beautiful and available. He was eager. That, that's the character work you're going to get. And like, yeah, I could teach that. There's an easy, I can even picture the layout of the worksheet you could give a kid to be like, what are the character traits we learn? What's the conflict? Mm-hmm. What's the rising at? You know, it's just like, yeah. and I'm only droning in that tone because I've done that. And I've used <laughs> Aesop's Fables to teach theme. And I did it all the time because it's so easy to do. Like any, anybody can learn theme from those, I hope. And so anyway, that's a long digressive whatever to just say, I get why this would be taught, but I'm firmly in the negative because we just got to move on. Let's just do more fun stuff, I guess, is my take on this. Um, If you want to use Aesop's fables, like I I literally can remember the lesson I would do, the beginning of the, you know, theme unit or however we were structuring that. It was like one day we read them. You know, you can, that's a great thing. You can read five in a class and it's like, oh, you get rapid fire theme from each one. It's very learnable. It's very teachable. So I certainly understand the impetus behind that, but... Gosh, just hated reading it. 
So <laughs> yeah. Also, with Aesop's fables, had to be careful because some of the lessons didn't actually align with the story well, we discovered. <laughs> as a teacher, you start to learn what you can manipulate. You know what I mean? I'd be I'd be cutting those out for sure. <laughs> let's let's take away our own themes from these, shall we, children? Let's take away our own yeah. lessons to learn because whatever they they were cooking up is not aligning with how this reads. Yeah. Remember the tree that was supposed to like get up and go somewhere or something? Yeah, yeah. I was like, come on, man! It was a horrible metaphor it's like the worst metaphor of all time <laughs> it's you picked the one thing on earth that is known not to move <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, good grief anyway yeah so the robber bridegroom hard out for me i say so we're at a decision point now amanda which yeah. is do we end with the final positive or the final negative i think we end with the final positive okay so we'll double up on negatives here that makes sense yeah yeah all right i agree so fittingly enough We'll, we'll plumb the depths before we conquer the heights and the mountaintops. It's very archetypal and very fitting, I think. I agree. Yes. Okay. So then for our final negative category, it's class clown time. I alluded to this earlier. Class clown, class clown rather, is just not a compliment, I don't think. It just is like, I get that it, you know, I'm like picking on myself here or whatever, but I just think it's like the person who you ha- you give them the credit, but like they were probably a little too in your face in high school. Then like if you're a class clown in high school, a time that is notorious for being annoying, loud, boisterous, if you're the person who stands out in that environment, that's probably not great. So this is the category we chose to theme basically the worst book around. This is just the worst one. I think that's we're going to keep it nice and simple, right? Did you interpret it yeah. any other way? No. Like um, the most unbearable to read, least enjoyable yes. to read. And, you know, I don't want to, this isn't a therapy session for me. I'm not going to, you know, put too much self-loathing out there, but that's just the award we chose for it. I think it's probably <laughs> the worst award <laughs> to be given. One of my best friends was the class clown, so. Is that me? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess two of my, <laughs> two of them. <laughs> Damn, getting aired out right now. All right, that's fair. <laughs> Just when we were about to announce the relaunch of the pod, oh man, a lot of rugs being pulled out. No, that's funny. Well, yeah, okay, I I don't need to be your best friend, Amanda. It's okay. I, I respect. I'll I'll take my place as a second or third tier friend, fourth tier. I'll settle for fourth tier. I completely get it. <laughs> that's what a class clown deserves, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> no one wants to have the class clown be their best friend. Holy shit. Anyway, um, okay. So this is the absolute worst thing we read. Amanda, go ahead. I would be stunned if we did not agree on this. I chose Oh Cruel Alexis. Yeah, me too. By Virgil. Go ahead and kick it off. Yeah. Oh, Virgil. Um, so these are the pastoral poems that he wrote. And um, yeah, it's supposed to be like meaningful for his time, but it's just not, it doesn't translate to our time. And also I've read, I, I, I noticed my proclivities uh, for British lit a lot while reading this collection mm-hmm. with you and um during the romantic period in england right there's a lot of pastoral poetry obviously so that kind of poetry i have a certain appreciation for and and i guess just because I've, I've read it so often um through school and through my own reading but virgil's poetry just really fell flat for me i think because i didn't have that cultural understanding that i had for uh, the pastoral poetry of uh, the British Romantic era. So mm-hmm, there are yeah. references to people, places, wars, history, gods, pantheons, all that stuff that I was just like scratching my head. And I was just like, I can't, I can't even understand the beauty of his lines because I just don't get the illusion. I think only it. Ovid outdid him in terms of illusions. Yeah, And it would be close. Yeah. Ovid was yeah. man, it, a, like a name, a line basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that if you are going to tackle these poems, you would one hundred percent need to have one co- a copy that tells you the meaning of like every single line, like those um sh- those Shakespeare helpers or whatever that they give to yeah, no fear Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like something like that for Virgil, I think it would make it more meaningful. But the way that it's presented here is just not, not great. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I put um, a, a quick quote in there. Um, 
to just kind of showcase the illusions that I was just like, what? Uh, Wherefore speak of Scylla, child of Nisus, who, tis said, vexed the Coletian ships and in the deep swift eddying whirlpool with her sea dogs tore the trembling mariners, or how he told of the changed limbs of Tereus, what a feast, what gifts to him by Philomel were give were given. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, hearing it read aloud, it's it's funny because I'm looking at so as I mentioned, I chose this also. This is the class clown of this of this set of twenty we read. Yeah. I am looking at the quote I chose. Hearing yours out loud, I could definitely not tell you what you just said to me. Probably <laughs> no, I, I don't think I could. My summary would be would be bad. I'm rereading mine, and the more I look at it, the more it makes sense. But the more I realize that this is poetry where every two lines. It's not even that you're transitioning into a new image or something. It's that the like the references, the rapidity of it, something just makes it all mushy and it just feels yeah. like you're being really bombarded. Like I'll read the quote I chose for this one. It's when a character speaking to another character and he says, um, Daphne's in white admires Olympus's strange threshold and sees the planets in the clouds beneath his feet. Therefore, keen pleasure grips forest and countryside, Pan also, and the shepherds and the dryad maids. The wolf intends no ambush to the flock, the nets no trickery to deer. Daphnis the good loves peace, for gladness even the unshorn mountains fling their voices toward the stars. Now even the orchards, even the rocks echo the song, a god, a god he is, Menaclas. And I'll just pause there. The more I reread that, the more I picked apart, like, oh, okay, it's the serenity on Earth, there's Pan, the, no one's fighting, the wolves aren't killing things. Like, there's things you can pick at in there, but mm-hmm. that's that's seven lines, or well, I didn't count, ten-ish lines. You want to read a 50-line poem like that? <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that your desire? I think, and so the, the density of it and the just relentless pace and sort of you got to keep up with the names. You got to keep up with the imagery. You got to check to make sure the imagery or the analogies are in this case, just like the gods or whatever, that all of it's aligning in terms of message and theme. I think this chunk, I just so happened to get pretty well the more I looked at it. And I picked it because I thought it was baffling. Now that I've read it five times, I'm thinking, oh, okay. So in that sense, in a way, I look at it and shrug and think what, you know, this might make for an interesting study, just like Ovid might. But right. yo, did not read this uh, without help. Especially, do not read this. I mean, this is tough. This is rough stuff. <laughs> I don't, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not sure. I think we're both realistic enough on this pod to say uh, the history of letters, writing, literature is so uncomprehend, incomprehensibly vast. Especially if you take in translated works. I don't know. Your time is limited to read in this life, and you. Yep. I think you should choose with some curation and some caution. I just feel comfortable saying this was the most unreadable, the least rewarding, and without annotations, truly the most pointless thing we encountered. I felt by the end of it, it was utterly meaningless to me. (laughs) Yeah, same here. Yeah, provided nothing to my life other than, you know, a couple lines where I thought about, you know, what the Roman and Greek gods were up to again. Any final thoughts on the, I forgot the author, Virgil, the O Cruel Alexis by Virgil? No, I, mm -mm, done. (laughs) <laughs> never again never again and you know what i i will say this remember in the back half of that there was an extended poem comparing rome yes. to an ant colony yes that was kind of interesting did not hate that because at least it was one sustained metaphor now he also got away from it after a while and started some crazy tangents and but at least for for two pages maybe total bliss i was like okay i'm on board you're really riding this metaphor. There's comparisons in here that I kind of get. It's kind of creative. You got these aqueduct, whatever. But and then, yeah, and then it fell apart. So I could not. I could not even get beyond that. I was yeah. just so done with him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The no fear Shakespeare for Virgil only. I think is the. Yeah. That's the energy. Okay. <laughs> well, then we'll do as I think you so wisely suggested. We'll end with the final positive pick, which fittingly I think. Because in terms of high school, whether it's cliche or truth, is there anything more positive than being the prom king or the prom queen? I don't think so. That's the highest honor you, that can be bestowed upon you, I think, right? I guess. Right? I, I'm not... I don't know. I mean, what else? I, whatever the award otherwise might be. The president one, maybe, but we use that for a more creative purpose, you know? Yeah. So I think that's yeah. another one to be... Because that's considered the person who's kind of like mature, you know, motivational, usually yep. usually a little more positive, we would hope. So 
Yeah. In this case, we're, we're crowning the prom king or queen, and we're deciding that that is the award for the best thing we read, the most memorable, best writing. I, however you want to interpret best is fine by me. Um, and I, I believe, because I sneak peeked, I believe we aligned on this also. And so... I, I'm why, not surprised. I know. I know. Yeah. And we... <laughs> I think in this set of 20, we ended up with the right balance where I think in total we recommended yeses to maybe together, maybe three or four things, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe two or three. And then, you know, you recommending yes or myself doing it, we probably had up that to like seven or eight total. Yeah. Or either you felt strongly, but we aligned on this one for sure. We both recommended that everyone read this by an author that I've long admired, though, his legacy is complicated, to be sure. But, Amanda, why don't you start us off on your pick for prom? I guess we'll just say king then, right? I mean, I, we can gender yeah, it. I guess king. it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, start us off. Tomorrow by Joseph Conrad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chose it because the way that I interpreted it was like just the the most enjoyable and the one that I would overwhelmingly recommend to anybody. Um, mm-hmm. So... This short story just has has everything that not only I could want from a short story, but people who maybe don't care as much about style and stuff like that, but just want an interesting plot or something like that. This is a story I think that can appeal to just about anybody. Um, it's got great style. He's he's really a snappy writer is what it is, right? right. The dialogue is not overly stiff. Um, it's... There's some ambiguity within the plot, within the story itself, without being uh, too, what do I want to say? Like, you know, some writers just want to be super modern and, like, leave it completely open like that. But there is some ambiguity, so it's not as closed off either. There's great characterization, great style. There's some irony, and there's it's just a, a great story but also just a really wonderfully told story that explores the idea of hope. And I just absolutely loved it. I think, yeah, it's to its credit that when you walk away from this, it's kind of hits the sweet spot that I think a short story should, and maybe even longer forms of literature. But if you and I came out and somebody said, well, in a sentence, tell me what that was about. I feel like we could give two completely different sentences but we yeah. probably wouldn't. And I feel like that's the sweet spot for a story for me where you know there are these multitudinous avenues that are mentally you're kind of exploring, but ultimately it's clear enough to where you'd you'd probably come out saying a similar-ish thing, but maybe not the same thing. And I feel like it, whatever that line is I just made up in a confusing image metaphor, that's the line it hits so well. It's the line it walks where... You're like you said, well, you're left with enough clarity on what happened, but I think the character work is so strong and complex that it doesn't feel settled. It doesn't feel like you should know what to have taken away, but also, right. you know, there's clarity in the actions that happened. It, in a sense, in a very simplistic sense, it just checks all the narrative boxes. Talk about a book you should teach. I mean, this would be for an upper level reader, upper level learner, whatever. But it, you know, you could teach anything out of the story, truly. It's really compelling. The characters are really sharply drawn. There's enough conflict for them. And there's multiple conflicts happening that overlap, that that intertwine and create complexity in the narrative. I think, yep. yeah, like you said, the conclusion doesn't just tell you. It feels bleak, which feels right for the tone and story. But also, there's a bit of agency and kind of hope in the, in the conclusion, too. I think, I don't know, taking... When you remember Conrad was like a non-native speaker and a kind of a polyglot and stuff, it's I still find him really staggering in the amount yeah. of I uh, I don't know accomplishment and complexity in the way he writes. He was one of the first kind of capital L literary writers I've ever encountered, and was potentially I, I don't I've never read his work as racist or um, in favor of colonialism, but ri- people have challenged him as such. That's fair. His legacy can hold up to that or be criticized as that i think that's fine i but in terms of just his craft and grasp of how to present a narrative and layer things on and et cetera, et cetera, i don't know if that can be challenged you know whether or not he continues to be taught for those other reasons fair enough i say throw it up and let people debate it but yeah i, I encountered him in high school he really changed the way i read and re-encountering this, I know we said this in the pod when we reviewed it, it sort of affirmed, I don't know, in, in a way that's very sounds very self 
promotional or something like that, but it was like very fulfilling to think, oh, he is very good. And I, I'm glad I thought he was good back then. That means I had good taste. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. When I encountered him, I was really struck and it kind of like changed the way I viewed writing, frankly. And now seeing another one of his works, I was like, okay, reminded that that was not a fluke, you know? Mm-hmm. Any th- final thoughts on Conrad or any other encounters you've had with him in, over the years? Uh. I, I had to read um, The Secret Agent by him for one of my master's classes. Mm-hmm. And um, what a great read, too. Like, I, I 100% would recommend that you read any Conrad that you can get your hands on. I think that he's yep. he's an amazing writer. For sure. Yeah, feel free to dig into the canon. I mean, Heart of Darkness is the thing, mostly because of yeah. how it's taught and how it's been adapted into Apocalypse Now and that kind of thing. But, yeah, he's got novels out there, short works. This is just when I think of a short story, when I think back in the entire 80 collection or collection of 80 works, I still think this one will be up there. It's exemplary of just mm-hmm. here's what a short story should be and what it could be. And yeah, I think this holds up so well. We didn't pull any quotes. I don't even know if I want to, to be honest. I have one, I have one prepped. It's a great description of introduction to the characters. It's got some lists in it. It's got a couple... He does two things in a row where he uses a colon in two consecutive sentences, but it's a, it puts a little twist of irony on it. And I don't know. I almost kind of want to leave the reader one or the sorry, the listener wondering to go listen to the episode. I'm the, I almost feel I like agree. we should yeah. withhold. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I prepped a quote as well, but I mean, yeah. there's no way we can you know adequately do justice for this short story. So yeah. go read it for yourselves, That's guys. Very well said. I feel like we should let the work stand. So I and I feel like we've promoted it enough, or we've been positive enough. The episode for tomorrow by Joseph Conrad is out there. If you don't want to read that by Conrad, dig up something else that he wrote. It is. I will say, and you and I, I think, both have the inclination. Is it's it's literary in the difficult and challenging sense, in the artistic sense, but I think approachable for sure. And you mm-hmm. know, on the scale of that, it's not Virgil. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> on the scale of literary <laughs> to pop fun beach read, they're both in that. They're both sliding toward literary, but my goodness, I mean, this is days uh, better or whatever the expression would be to read. Yeah. And that will conclude the high school superlatives, I think, Amanda. I mean, why why yeah. not end with the, on the mountaintop, like you said? I think that was a smart decision. Were there any <laughs> awards you feel like we should have included or any other books you want to call out for any reason or give them another superlative or anything else? I think we covered the the best ones and, and the worst ones pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Well, a couple other awards. I'm going to fire some off just quickly. I wasn't sure if you had researched some on your own that you, that we didn't include or something, but no. I want, was going to do biggest heart, which was kind of like the most wholesome reader, the one you can like feel best about read. Cause you know, tomorrow a masterwork in my mind, you finish it. You're not going to feel, I don't know, enthused about life or something. I think you could yeah. maybe, but it's not, it's not going to leave you resoundingly uplifted and so I thought yeah. like maybe Biggest Heart would be something to call out. I don't know if any of these fit. I was going to maybe say the Dhammapada for that too. Though that one challenges a lot of human nature. So at the same time, it's, you know, no. It's like you're yeah. going to read that thinking, wow, what an unattainable, strange morality you have. Yeah. Well, Ryan was very much positively affected yeah. by it. <laughs> well, no, because I think it, it draws into relief the way you're living your life. And that's usually yeah. for the better, you should think on that. So. Yeah. And then Life of the Party, did we talk about that one? No, we didn't no. include that. That was just going to be like the most fun or maybe the easiest to read. Anything mm. jump out to you for that? Easiest to read. Yeah, like easiest to get along with. I was thinking Life of the Party, like anybody can have fun with that person. So just kind of like you can jump in. It's approachable. It's like you're not going to put you off. It's a, it's a good time, you know? Well, I guess uh, for me that would actually be the um, the Cersei's and the Cyclops, right? Cause uh, yeah, that section. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that too. One he- one heck of a party is that? What kind of party? Is that <laughs> co- you've been going gouging. to some COVID parties? Or <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, gosh, you know, the more I look, I'm looking at the list now. Maybe I would say I know this is some, this is going to sound wild to say it. Maybe I hate and I love from uh, Catullus for really well because it's only approachable because you know people will get the drama i mean what thing has not dimmed over the years in human in human conditions like the drama of love and the hate and the passion and the you know the intensity of it i just think that is approachable in a way i don't know (laughs) that's not a party i would want to be at for sure i don't need to go to a catellus orgy or whatever but (laughs) 
that's not the party I'm, I'm not looking to swing at the Catullus party or any party really but yeah, yeah. so uh, but I, in a way it's like that's approachable in the way where you're like this is going to be like somebody's personal journal and they are going through some shit and I thought that was also pretty readable too in the end yeah it was so maybe that would have made it but yeah, yeah some other categories we could have thrown in there's those episodes out there listener are there for you to enjoy to pick over to consider whenever you want at your leisure at this point the the um entire penguin little black classics collection is concluded we have reviewed what? them all and we've we've put it all in the books it is on the record and it will be there in perpetuity as long as we pay the bills and keep the lights on for the servers <laughs> it will be there for you approach i the collection i say in any order you want to honestly it was never meant to be taken in order we did them in yep. order just to give structure to the pod but go back and review things as you get curious and i think just to remind you of what these best ofs are intended for, if you ever are just itching for an idea or a read, the best ofs are here for that exact reason. They will be a good cover of, or a good summary of what we read that was good and bad and liked and disliked, and hopefully this will be a nice account of that. Any final thoughts? I know we kind of wrapped up on the collection on the 80th episode, Amanda, but any final thoughts on this chunk or the the collection itself? Well, I guess just uh, for the, the collection itself, I would just say... There were some some great reads, um, but there were also some really terrible reads. But I think that uh, for the most part, it's a a pretty good introduction overall to some of the the classic literature without delving into the bigger works too much, but into some of the um, the lesser known works of the great writers and also the just an introduction to the overall style for a lot of those writers. So it's a good way to i guess get an idea of whether you like the author and want to read some of the bigger works by that author yeah i would refrain i'm going to refrain from recommending people like buy the collection because i don't we we've never been sponsored or anything on this pod obviously this is a work of love yeah. and and for, of fun so i don't want to say go out and buy this or whatever but I, I will say a couple of things just reflecting on reading through them all I don't think I would have done them all unless I had it something like this to motivate me because I did read some before I had this idea to do a pod about it or a podcast about it, but and I made it through maybe 10 or 15 of them. I think 50 pages, they all clock in about 50 or so pages and they're, they're like smaller print pages too. It's the right amount for most of this stuff and I think if you're just curious, maybe you're own i don't know your own education in literature was limited or you 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 know backed away from english classes to focus on a ma- another major maybe i don't know i feel like we talked to we t- talked to people listeners on this show like they always went to college you definitely didn't have to and you know you probably are <laughs> probably better off and less in debt if you didn't so thanks for listening and sorry we don't speak to you as directly as we should but if you you know maybe it's something like well my education ended in high school so i got a very limited view of i don't know like literary history and the famous works of the world and what have you i yeah i thought it was a pretty comprehensive and interesting collection it was 100 percent western skewed some japanese and chinese stuff made its way in here and it's some stuff from what we would call the middle east but you know it heavily british heavily american and russian for you know whatever the russian literary titans are in there and so in some ways it skewed kind of oddly but i appreciated its eccentricities i think i appreciated the breadth of the collection and the i'm glad they put in a variety of formats i could have used i think actually in the end i could have used a touch more nonfiction, maybe more like essay based kind of like fun creative writing but that's a form that's really only picked up in the last hundred years and even like the last 50 so that's that's just me being biased toward really contemporary things and this collection really I mean, it starts with Homer, so a couple thousand maybe uh, BCE, and then it ended probably with H.G. Wells, right? Maybe something a little... Yeah, I guess he would be the most up-to-date. Yeah, yeah. in the early 1900s, maybe 1940s-ish, something like that. And so really nothing contemporary in there. I enjoyed yeah. it thoroughly. I think the pod really saved it. I think I would have a fun with you in a book club anytime. We've <laughs> we've done different formats, so it's not that was the least surprising thing. And you know, with my brother too, who shout outs, he did a good chunk of the collection with me too. I mean, I just did this with people who I would normally like to chat with and have done book chats with before. So that was the least surprising part. I think the classics held up overall pretty well, honestly. And I think yeah. The, the brevity of them saved a lot of it for, you know, if you're a listener out there who came in as a skeptic, then I think the brevity of these would, would save them a lot of the time. You know, do you want to do 300 pages of these? Uh, perhaps not. 
perhaps not. <laughs> the great thing, the great thing too about these is that uh, almost all of them you can find on Project Gutenberg for free. Yeah, like, yeah, it's great. Actually, it's a great way to end it too because I, while I purchased the collection to do this endeavor, you joined late. And I like roped you into it. And so it was fantastic that so much of it was free on Project Gutenberg. I, I yeah. say we give them the, I mean, again, I can't endorse Penguin. Like they didn't sponsor this, whatever. Buy their works if you want to. Don't. That's fine. But at least we can give an unequivocal shout out to Project Gutenberg, a worthwhile yes. endeavor free in the public domain and yeah. has made all of this accessible for free, basically. Yeah, Wikipedia and Project Gutenberg. Yeah, like, donate to awesome them. Awesome, guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely donate to both of those endeavors if Gutenberg takes donations. I know I've donated to Wikipedia in the past. Any, any yeah. bit helps, and they are both, like, reliable enough resources for, for casuals like us who are not academic historians or, you know, literary folks in the in the academy. So mm-hmm. I think with that, we're going to wrap up this final highlights episode from the Penguin Little Black Classics Collection a phrase that I will probably never utter again in my life, but have somehow not tongue twisted my way through throughout this entire run. It'll be the, you know, the sign off will be the final time we have to talk about that. I will say if you've made it this far, then you're in, you're in the thick of it now, folks. I do have a couple announcements for dedicated listeners. We love and appreciate you as ever. We are beginning a new podcasting endeavor. The two of us, Amanda and I are are beginning it. Ryan, I think will jump in occasionally, but Amanda and I are going to kick it off. It is going to be a not classics-focused pod. We're going to focus on reviews and book clubs. The design of the new one is essentially that you'll follow along with us, though, of course, you can dip in and out. If a book doesn't interest you, check back in in a couple weeks. We're doing a new book. And so it's going to be kind of a a read-with-us focus. That's the hope anyway. I know for a lot of these people who have listened and not read, that's great. We're going to continue to review books for people who haven't read. But the new format is supposed to be a little more, you know, follow-along, reader-friendly. We will be vetting the books and picking them with great care. We were at the whims of Penguin here, which, again, I thought was rather fun. But yeah. I think it's pretty clear that we need to we need to be vetting and picking things that we know are hits. Now, it's interesting because I, I agree with what you said earlier. I enjoyed doing a lot of the things that I didn't like here. But I don't mm-hmm. think for the new format that will fly because we're going to pick longer works. I You know, right. 50 pages of Virgil is a fun a fun two-day jaunt you'll remember 300 pages <laughs> is homework and is like brutal yeah. <laughs> and without any guidance or you know classes to check in that's like really a taunt honestly and i don't yeah. i don't know if we're the ones you know i'm not a professor and i'm not doing this three days a week with people so i don't feel like i'm the one to shepherd them through something like that i feel like we're just you know maybe a tear down from being a teacher for these people for the dear listeners that's a long-winded way of just saying we'll, we'll be back. We're going to try and keep the same podcast feed, which this pod is currently in. If for whatever reason that doesn't work out, we will aggressively tell you so. But I'm pretty sure we can keep the same feed and everything. The name will be changed, though. We'll be kind of rebranding, as it were, as the 2020 term would go or 2021 term would go. And so, yeah, look forward to a new format of the pod. The same banter, the same fun, hopefully, that we've been enjoying the same... I don't know, shenanigans? Is that right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, same literary shenanigans. We're, you know, trying to keep it a little buttoned up here. Um, Same (laughs) literary shenanigans, but certainly with a focus on things people want to read and are actively reading according to, you know, things like the internet or sales numbers (laughs) or just like Googling. So... Yeah, we'll be vetting stuff, and um, just keep an eye on the feed. We'll we'll post definitely an episode explicitly introducing the new format. It'll be a little bit of a logistics episode, and then we'll dive right into it, and we'll be back You know, after the new year in short order. I would expect the new episodes up in January at some point, maybe later January. So, Any final thoughts, Amanda, on the Penguin Classics before I do the final sign-off here? Nope, I'm good. Okay, I raise my glass of champagne, which I've been drinking copiously, thus all the explicit language, which I will make sure to tag in the metadata, (laughs) in the podcast data. And until next time, folks, we will definitively not see you between the classics. Classics.